the number one, and it's the foundation of, of everything that I, I speak and write about is uh, the best players never get bored with the basics. They, they, they actually appreciate and relish the fundamentals and the repetition it takes to master your craft. And while they certainly, uh, you know, they want to be able to level up, level up and do more advanced things, they respect the game and the process to the point where they never try to skip step. If you haven't had an opportunity yet, you can definitely check us out on the whole person podcast podcast.com. You can find resources to grow yourself in every area of life. As we're growing, we're going to be putting our free resources up there. That's the whole person podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the whole person podcast. And then in other areas, you can just follow me, Evan Herman on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram for more information. Enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Evan Herman. And I'm documenting my journey on becoming the best version of myself while learning how to be an entrepreneur and developing the successful habits that are necessary to get and keep me there. If you want to come alongside of me and make this journey together, we'll be listening and learning from some of the world's greatest mentors in the areas that matter most, faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun. So join me on the Whole Person Podcast. Alan Stein Jr. is a keynote speaker and author of the book, Raise Your Game. He spent 15 plus years as a performance coach working with the highest performing basketball players on the fricking planet. Alan specializes in improving individuals and organizational leadership, performance, and we all need this accountability. He inspires and empowers everyone he works with to take immediate action and improve the mindset, habits, and productivity. Alan, welcome to the show. How are you? I am fantastic, man. I've been looking forward to connecting. This is great. I'm, I'm excited. So Alan, tell our audience what your story is, your, your, your background and what you've done. Sure. Well, the Cliff Notes version is basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I, I vividly remember falling in love with the game at probably four or five years old. And here four decades later, uh, it's still a major staple of my life. So I'm incredibly grateful uh, that I've been able to uh, make my living and have a life uh, in that zone of what it is that I've, I've truly loved. And uh, I was a fairly decent high school player. I was able to play uh, down at Elon, then down in North Carolina in college. And while I was in high school and college, I started to develop uh, an equal love and affinity for the performance side, for the strength and conditioning and fitness side. Uh, so when I graduated college in 98, uh, I decided that that's where I wanted to, to start my career as a basketball strength and conditioning coach. And uh, did that for almost 20 years, uh, was able to work with two uh, internationally renowned programs here in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, both of which have produced over a dozen NBA guys. And that also led to some work with Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball. Uh, so what makes my journey unique is I was able to see a whole bunch of players like Kevin Durant being one whoa, of whoa, them. Stop. You can't say his name. Can't say his name? You can't say All his right. name. That, that is a name that we do not speak about here in Oklahoma. Understood. Well, there's a gentleman who goes by two initials. <laughs> well, I had a chance to, to see him when he was 14, 15 years old and get a look right. behind the curtain of, of somebody that was going to be great, but what it 
took to get there. And then when I was able to work with Nike and Jordan Brand, and, and I'm working events for Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, I was able to see what already established players look like and what they did to continue to level up. So I've seen kind of the, the before and the after picture, uh, if you will, and uh, absolutely love the opportunity to learn from and work alongside and most importantly, observe the best players and coaches in the game. And, and from there, uh, I, I decided a few years ago that I wanted to take all of those lessons and all of those things that I had learned from them and redirect my audience to what I just call the corporate world now. And I teach businesses and organizations how to use those same strategies that elite athletes use so that they can perform at a world-class level in business. And my primary way of doing that now is, is as a professional speaker, uh, I do keynotes and workshops and trainings. But then, as you mentioned, I also just uh, authored a book called Raise Your Game. So right. I'm having an absolute blast with what I'm doing because uh, now I'm combining my old passion of, of basketball with my new passion of speaking and writing. And man, I'm, I'm on cloud nine right now. That's awesome. So I'm just giving you a hard time. We can, we can say Kevin Durant. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a sore subject here in, in Oklahoma. So he could have gone to any team and I think we would have been fine. He went to the Warriors and that was not okay with us. No, I, I but, totally get that. And we uh, wish him the best on his recovery as well. So I just, that sucks. It, it's neat how sport can create such a, a firm allegiance. And, and I don't, I don't blame you a bit for feeling that way. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Yeah, for sure. He, um, it, it was just, it was really, I, I figured it'd come up. So I, I, I had to go for it. For sure. No, I don't, I don't blame you a bit. You know, it's funny now because, you know, people ask, you know, oh, well, who's my favorite team? And, and I don't uh, really have a favorite team. I, I'm always very partial to the players that I worked with and, and, you know, especially the ones that I met when they were kids. So, you know, I've got a whole, you know, I've got a, a dozen or so guys in the league that when they're playing, I'm always rooting for them. And if they get traded and go somewhere else, well, then I'm just rooting for them on a different team. So right. it is sports always fascinating uh, that allegiance, but I will say that, uh, I did come down to a game in OKC and, and I stayed at Kevin's place one time and the, the fan base you all have there is remarkable. I mean, it's, I really think that, that you guys have as close to a college environment at those Thunder game uh, as anybody in the NBA. And, and it was, it was really cool. And, and I know that, that Kevin really did appreciate and love his years there. Um, and you guys just have, you have such a good culture and such good people there. Right. So I got to tell you something kind of funny. I went to a Thunder game a few years ago and my friend had a special um, access pass to where we got to go down on the court wow. and then also shoot a free throw. Well, I'm not great at shooting free throws. I'm actually better at shooting threes, but I forgot that the NBA three is like three feet further back. So yeah. not only did I totally air it, but then Collison was, I don't know, like 30 feet from me. And I was trying to get his attention to wave high because Rock yeah. Chalk Jayhawk, I'm from Kansas. Oh, nice. And so, so I'm trying to get his attention. I'm like, man, I like you, you know, you're from Kansas. Yeah. He wasn't giving me any sort of love. So as loud as I could, I just screamed, I love you, Nick Collison. And then like, he stopped, looked at me, kind of shook his head and then went yeah. back to doing what he was doing. <laughs> wow. That's funny. That's great. Well, I like you taking a stab at it, man. You got to go for it. It was worth a shot, man. It was worth a shot. So you've worked alongside of these high performing athletes for a number of years. What are some of the biggest ahas in doing so? Cause you got to see them as young men come into something spectacular in some of the best players in the world. Like you, you not only got to see that, but you got to be a part of that, which gives you even 
more credibility as, as a coach, as a speaker, as an author. So what are some of the biggest ahas that was noted? Well, the number one, and it's the foundation of, of everything that I, I speak and write about, is uh, the best players never get bored with the basics. They, they, they actually appreciate and relish the fundamentals and the repetition it takes to master your craft. And while they certainly, uh, you know, they want to be able to level up, level up and do more advanced things, they respect the game and the process to the point where they never try to skip steps. That, you know, in basketball, the best example to use is footwork uh, because every Everything in the game starts at your feet. You know, I mean, every pass and every shot and every rebound, it all starts with your feet. So the, the best players, the Kobe's and the LeBron's and the, sorry, KD's, they <laughs> work on mastering their footwork and they never, they never get away from that. They never leave the basics. The basics are always uh, interwoven into what they do. And then over top, that creates the foundation to which the rest of the house is built. Then they do start to level up but they never leave the basics. And that actually surprised me, you know, cause as a young coach and I'm watching these elite level players and I just figured, Hey, you mastered the basics when you were in high school and now you're on to bigger and better stuff and come to find out, no, they actually still live in the basics. And the reason that's so hard to do is because the basics in any area of our life are usually mundane and they're monotonous and they can be rather boring if you don't, find joy in them. If you don't love the process and love the repetition, it's going to be hard to, to, to be able to master any skill. Right. That, that speaks volumes, whether it's in real estate or any industry, because some of the very basic stuff in real estate is, is making phone calls, cold calls to for sale by owners, expires, open houses and door knocking. Yeah. Like, and ask me how many of those do I do? <laughs> I, I make a lot of phone calls. Yeah, um, but you are so right. I, I, I'm just sitting here, kind of like, man, if an elite athlete consistently works on the basics, how much more in my industry or in my business do I need to like take stock of? Okay, what's the basics, and how can I consistently apply them? Yes, a daily habit. Well, you just what you just hit so perfectly, and you and you, you it's that's very insightful. First and foremost, you have to establish what those basics are. Uh, you know, uh, as I said, for a basketball player, it starts with their footwork. You know, it, it starts with their shooting form. Those are the basics of basketball. But if you're in real estate or, or anything, I mean, even as a podcast host, you got to go back and look at a checklist and go, okay, what are the most basic components of being elite in real estate? What are the most basic components of being a podcast host? And you figure out what those things are, and then you make sure that you continue to get quality and purposeful repetitions in during the unseen hours that allow you to get as close to mastery in those things as you can. And, and, and this is the thing. See, not all elite athletes do that. Some of them try to skip steps and try to circumvent the process, and it almost always catches up with them. Uh, I'm not a huge NFL guy, but you know, I watch it when I can just cause I appreciate sport. And I laugh because, you know, when an NFL team loses two or three games in a row and the coach is feeling a little bit of pressure, you know, possibly on the hot seat, inevitably they come on their post-game press conference and they say something to the effect of, you know, we've lost three in a row now on Monday, we're going to get back to the basics when we go to practice. And I kind of chuckle, not because I think I'm smarter or a better leader than NFL coaches. Those guys are geniuses. But I laugh because they believe the solution to their problem is to get back to the basics, which then, of course, leads the question, 
why did you ever leave them in the first place? If you believe the solution to your problem is going back to the basics, then don't leave them. Make them a staple of every practice and every film session and every weight room session. And the, the best coaches I've been around, whether it's a Coach K at Duke uh, or a guy like Bill Belichick, who I, I've never been around in person, but I've studied extensively. Oh, yeah. The, the fundamentals are a major part of every practice. Like they don't ever skip the basics. And uh, for me, I know in my own life that anytime things get a little off course or a little fuzzy or I'm not performing at the level I think I'm capable of, it's usually because in some way, shape, or form, I've deviated from the basics. And as soon as I get back in them, uh, I can refocus the lens and tighten the screws and things start to get better. So there's two different branches of questions that, that I have based off of this. One, not just in career, but I think we got to ask ourselves in life, what are the basics? Absolutely. Because... And I, and- Oh, God, I was going to say, and I I can break that down. I I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I mean, I go for it. What's funny is as I get older, I'm 43 now. I'm I'm an amicably divorced father of three young kids. The the older I get, the more I'm trying to simplify life and the more basic I'm trying to make life. You know, I I believe most of us when we're younger and, and many of our decisions and perspectives are clouded by ego. Uh, We feel that making things really intricate and complicated shows how smart we are. And now I just try to make things as easy as possible. I mean, really, if you want to break it down to the most basic component, before you make any decision, whether it's something trivial, like what am I going to eat for lunch or something much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, significant, like should I change jobs or should we move? Just ask yourself, is doing this thing going to take me closer to who I want to be and the best version of myself, or is it going to take me further away from being who I want to be and the best version of myself? And then the key to life is simply trying to get as many uh, going in the right direction decisions as possible. And none of us are perfect, nor should we try to be. But, you know, is, is eating this unhealthy meal right now, does this take me closer to the person I'm trying to be or further away? And then that should give you a clear uh, that should give you clarity on what the correct decision would be. Doesn't mean that you're always going to choose it, and nor should you, uh, but at least now you know. And for me, that's the most basic component to living a happy, fulfilled, and significant life is making as many decisions as I can every day that are in alignment with who it is that I want to be. And that might sound really obvious to people, but there's a good portion of people that make decisions that are completely against the grain of who they want to be and what they're trying to achieve. And then they can't figure out why they can't get there. Right. So again, I love this because I just get multiple questions here running through my mind. Um, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, and then I have another question based off of what you just said. You talked about putting in the basics, the, the back to the basics or not leaving the basics. And the key word that you said was in the unforeseen hours. Yes. Dive into that. The, the unseen hours, what I would always tell basketball players, and, and I got that term from my friend Drew Hanlon, who's a, a world-renowned basketball strategic skills coach. Um, the unseen hours in basketball, 
those are the hours when the lights aren't on, the cameras aren't rolling, and the cheerleaders aren't dancing. That's when you actually make yourself a player. When you are in an empty gym putting in rep after rep with perfect footwork and perfect shooting mechanics, you're taking game shots from game spots at game speed. That's when you're actually creating yourself as a player. Uh, once the lights come on and the, the, the TV cameras are rolling and the cheerleaders are dancing, that's simply when you execute and you perform based on what you've done during the unseen hours. And it's the same for all of us. You know, the vast majority of the reps we'll get in life are when no one else is watching. You know, I mean, the vast majority of what was going to determine whether or not you and I have a successful conversation was done well before we, we hit record. This is simply the time where the preparation that both you and I did actually comes to fruition. But the success was built and earned during the unseen hours. And I just want to make sure people recognize that most of our hours are unseen. And that's where most of what will determine our success and happiness comes from. So we have to, we have to make sure that we, we, really, we really focus on those. So in life, how, as an individual who's not an athlete, what should they do in their unforeseen hours to make their life a success? Well, you know, and, and the, the book I wrote very strategically, even though most of my journey has come through the lens of sport and as a performance coach, uh, what I want to make sure folks realize is the, the strategies and the principles and the things that, that I've been able to extract from sport have very high utility and can be applied to any area of our life. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about personal or professional. It doesn't matter if we're talking about individual or organizational. It doesn't matter if we're talking about sport or business. It's these strategies that we want to be able to extract. And it's, it's those mindsets and those habits and those rituals. That's what we need to, to, to pay most attention to. So I was very intentional about writing a book that even if you don't like basketball or like sport, uh, you should still be able to, to pull some nuggets from. So when we're just talking about uh, life in general, uh, there's really three pillars that we have to look at in our lives. Uh, and, and, and a fourth, technically, if it, if it suits you. But uh, for me, you have the, the mental, the physical, and the emotional pillars. Uh, and I know for many people, a faith or a spiritual would be a fourth pillar, and that's totally cool. But you have to figure out, all right, what do I need to do to fill each of those buckets, to, to be the best version of myself mentally, uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, what are the things that I need to do to do that? And the vast majority of the things that you need to do are during the unseen hours. Uh, let's just use physical just because it's, it's probably the most visual and obvious one. You know, I mean, most of the meals that you're going to eat, yes, you might be with someone like a significant other or your kids, but, but you're not eating every meal on a Facebook Live or, or on CNBC. I mean, most of those are during the unseen hours. You know, do you choose to get up and go to a, a yoga class or go for a run or, you know, those things are happening when no one else is really watching or paying attention. So most of those unseen hours uh, of what you choose to do from a nutrition and a, and, a, and a physical fitness program are going to determine your physical wellness. And that's ultimately what's happening during those unseen hours. So in your book, you talk about that there's these two types of people in life, those that want things to happen and those that make things happen, which goes right along with what we're talking about. How does a person go from wanting to making things happen? And, and truthfully, there's also a third group and that's people who have no clue what's happening. And, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a cynical person. I can be a tad sarcastic. Uh, sadly, I think there's a, a pretty large uh, majority in that third group, but right. you know, it's well, the, the, the wanting it is simply not enough. 
Uh, it's also akin to this difference uh, between knowing and doing. You know, uh, most of what we need as fully functional adults to be happy and to be successful and significant and to live productive lives, almost all of that we already know. This isn't from lack of knowledge. It's usually from lack of doing and implementation. And that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. There's nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with wanting something, but you actually have to, to convert that over to action for that to ever take place. Uh, and I think that was one of kind of my issues with that book, The Secret, you know, that came out a long time ago. Uh, and it was just always talking about just sitting down and visualizing a better life. And if you do that, you'll attract a better life to you. Some of that is true. I mean, I do believe that what you put out in the world, you do get back and comes back to you and you attract what you are. Not arguing that point, but what I thought the book failed to mention was how important the action was. But yeah, anyone can want to be a great basketball player, but let me see what your actions are. Let me see what your habits are. Uh, you know, let me, let me see what you do on a daily basis. And that's going to determine whether or not you're a good basketball player. It has nothing to do with how much you want it. It has to do with how much you put action into what you want. Right. So how does someone, I guess here's, here's my question, because I'm looking at my life and I would say about six years ago, because I'm a real estate agent now for six years. Nice. I got on this journey where it's really funny. I, I, I was in the process of getting my real estate license. I looked at several different brokerages. I had one um, interview with one brokerage and they flat out rejected me on the spot in the interview. Like, no, I would never hire you. And when it comes to real estate specifically, I mean, it just, it's a numbers and volume game. So like, why wouldn't you want, want just an extra person in the office, you know? And so then I had to ask why. Mm -hmm. And then he said, because you have a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. That was a bombshell news to me. And I was so angry <laughs> I and I, and I played the victim for at least, I don't know, 24 hours and the more I thought about it, the more I realized how much this individual was right. Mm. And it, it was that one conversation that went from me being in the not even knowing category of people to the wanting category. Okay, so now I know I'm this way. Now I want to change, but I don't know how. How does someone go from the I want to but I don't know how. Well, first of all, I certainly, I commend you for sharing that. Uh, I commend you for having the humility to acknowledge that as, as tough as that must have been to hear in that moment, um, that you were able to eventually let life slow down, take a breath and go, wow, there's actually some validity to what this person said. And I can either use this information and make me bitter, or I can use this information and make me better. And, well, and it, and it thankfully, that's what you chose. Yeah, it radically has changed my life. Like- that one conversation because and what's funny is six months later he saw me and he's like you're a different person hey yeah. why don't you come work for me and I'm like sorry right I'm not doing that i appreciate everything you said and done but no i'm not i'm not going down that route um so yeah for our audience i'm still not in that that spot anymore i've, I've definitely changed over six years good for you um when, when I it started, started with that self-awareness, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, I'm so glad that that's what you, you brought up and you just admitted with great humility, you weren't even aware 
that you were playing the the victim role and uh, someone in, in theory was kind enough to share that with you. Now, he may not have delivered it in a very kind tone and it may not have been something that you wanted to hear at the time. Um, but I've always believed that when someone tells you the truth, of course, it's how they see it. But when someone tells you the truth, that's a sign that they care about you. And uh, that's, that's good that that person did that. I mean, he, he or she may not even recognize that they sparked a monumental shift and change in your life that you're now reaping the benefits six years later. So, uh, right. as, as much as it sucks to go through anything like that, if, if you choose to embrace it the way that you did, you come out so much stronger and more well-equipped on the other side. So what right. probably felt like the worst news you could hear now in hindsight, maybe some of the best news you've ever heard. Oh, absolutely. So let's go back to that that moment where I had that realization, I want to change, but now I don't know how. Because I don't I, I have never been equipped. Well, the, the how, very how first step, the very first step is finding someone that's blazed the path that you want to go down and see if if they can serve as some type of mentor or what you can learn from them. Uh, a good friend of mine, his name's Kevin Eastman. Uh, he's been a very, very impactful coach in my life. He, he coached in the NBA for a long time. And he says that success leaves clues, but it's up to us to follow them. So, you know, uh, if if you aren't sure what you need to do, and I will say this, you probably, and we'll just use you as an example because you brought it up. You probably knew more of the how than you gave yourself credit for. You, you might have been in a new space where you just felt lost, but you probably knew more of the how than you than you thought you did. It's the why that we always have to get in place. Uh, I think that once you get the why in place, then the how becomes much easier. You know, and but but one of the best ways, if you don't know how, is to reach out to those that have already done that and see if they'll be nice enough to send the elevator back down to pick you up and and say, okay, uh, who is someone that is uh, that who is someone that's doing what it is that I want to do, or who is someone that's behaving in a way that I want to behave and I want to emulate, and can I ask them a series of questions to figure out? how they did it. And uh, that's one portion. Uh, the other, which there's no avoiding, although we can do it to different degrees, is good old-fashioned trial and error. You know, uh, Take some stabs at what you think would be the best way to accomplish something. And then the oldage adage to success in the world, I mean, you want to talk about the basics, is do more of what works and do less of what doesn't. I mean, <laughs> it's okay if people roll their eyes when they hear that, but you try something and if it works, try more of it and try to up level and do better. If you try something and it doesn't work, then do less of that. And uh, I think just that combination will at least put you on the right course. Uh, one of the neat things about the, the world we live in today is there is absolutely no shortage of information. Uh, I mean, anything you want is at your fingertips uh, on your laptop or your smartphone. So the asking the how part, I mean, you could probably Google how to just about anything and find more than enough information. So uh, I, I think uh, between being in the information age, doing some old-fashioned trial and error, but getting feedback and course correcting, and then looking for someone that can mentor and send the elevator back down, that's going to give you a very good start on the how. Right. I, I would agree with that. So what's the difference from your experience? Because you've worked with a lot of different athletes. And the reason why I'm specifically on athletes is because that's your background what's the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete? And then 
we can apply that to entrepreneurship or a business owner or an individual. What's the difference between what makes one good and what makes one great? Mindset. And I, I wouldn't even pause in saying that. You know, what does make it interesting, um, of course, when we're talking about athletics and physicality, um, their, their, their physical nature certainly plays more of a role. I mean, uh, there are certain physical tools that are almost required to play in the NBA, uh, but none of those things are required in entrepreneurship or in business uh, or in real estate. Uh, so to me, it's a more level playing field in those domains, but mindset and, and perspective, uh, because mindset's going to determine um, not only how you approach life, but your mindset also heavily dictates your habits and your routines and your behaviors, your openness to being coachable. Uh, your mindset determines you know, how you approach feedback when you get it. Uh, you know, it was your mindset that allowed you to take that information six years ago and use it in a way that served you and made you better. You could have easily chosen the opposite route and made an excuse, uh, complained about it, continued to wallow in victimhood, and that actually could have spent you spiraling backwards. And we see that happening to people all the day, uh, all the time. Uh, but thankfully, you had a mindset that allowed you to, to take that and move yourself forward. So um, yes, a guy like LeBron James obviously has been born with physical tools that very few human beings have been born with. But that's not the only thing. It's also the mindset, you know? I mean, Tom Brady's an easy one if we're going to talk about sport. I mean, right. there's plenty of quarterbacks that are a lot more physically gifted than he is. But his mindset and his approach is certainly what separates him. Right. So how does a person grow their mindset or challenge their mindset to become successful? It starts with humility. Anything, uh, being coachable, and I, I put humility and being coachable as, as kind of uh, like the brother and sister of each other. Um, you have to be open to knowing that no matter who you are, how accomplished you are, how successful you are, that there's still room for growth. There's still room for you to improve. There's still room for you to, to refocus the lens and, and tighten the screws a little bit. And you have to be open to that. Uh, you can be proud of what you've accomplished. You can have great confidence in your game but you still need to be open to that. So that's, that's always going to be uh, the, the very first step. And the best players that I've ever been around, and these are some of the most confident alpha males you could ever meet, they still are coachable and still know that there's things they can do better and they crave those things. They look forward to having someone in their life that's competent enough to say, hey, you need to do a little bit of this or you need to do a little bit of that. And if you do, you'll be even better than you are. Uh, because most of these guys, uh, I mean, they're on a quest for mastery. They, they want to be masters at their craft. They want to go down in history as the best that have ever done it. And it always starts with humility. So you got two cars, okay? And one car can go from zero to 115 seconds. And one car can go from zero to 104 seconds. And I often have noticed, you know, people are kind of in similar situations where, not, let me take back that analogy. Okay. Let's use airplanes because there are airplanes that can get off the ground extremely quick, but they're really small and they can't go long distance. And then there's the Boeings of the world that take a long time to get off, but once they get in their stride, they can go for a very long time. My two questions that I have is, how does someone accelerate from where they are to where they want to be? 
but then also once where they want to be, I think this goes back to, I'm already answering the question to keeping the basics to sustaining that flight. I love it. And I, I do. I love that analogy. Uh, as a professional speaker, I feel I, I spent a good deal of time on planes. So very comfortable with that analogy. Uh, first and foremost, and this goes back to that, that why, we have to have the destination in mind. We have to decide you know, what it is that we want or, or who it is that we're trying to become. We have to have that because that'll determine well, how important is it for us to get off the ground quickly? Like, is it even that important? Um, and, and need to figure those things out. Just like your strategy for running a hundred meter dash and running a marathon, your strategy should be very different. And uh, if you come out of the gates to run a marathon at the same pace that you would run a hundred meter dash, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to be in trouble really quick. So part of it is, I think you need to figure out that end destination. And, and that's where, you know, when we talk about like a GPS, uh, a GPS needs two coordinates. A GPS has to know where you are now and it has to know where you're trying to go. That's the only way it can give you directions. If you only have one of those things, if you know where you are, but you have no idea where you're going, Siri's going to look at you and be like, well, what do you want from me? Or if you tell them exactly where you're trying to go, but you don't know where you're starting, same thing. You know, if, if right now, if, if someone called you and called me and asked for directions to say Chicago, well, your directions are going to be different than mine because you're calling from Oklahoma City and I'm calling from Washington, D.C. So they're not going to be the exact same. So I think we need to figure out where we want to go. And then systematically, we determine what is the best process for getting there. Uh, is it required, using your analogy, that we get off the ground quickly uh, and are be able to come out at a breakneck speed? Well, if it's a very long-term goal, then the answer to that is probably no. Uh, so then it would be more appropriate to take the Boeing in that example. Maybe it is something that's more short term. You know, you have a real estate proposal or a deal that's coming up in a week and you don't have all day uh, to take the Boeing at your leisure. You might need something that can get off the ground quicker. So I think it's all being able to see what that end destination is and then create a systematic process for getting there and then live in that process. And that piggybacks on what we've been talking about already. The vast majority of what's in that process will more than likely be the basics and will more than likely be things that you have to do during the unseen hours. So because I don't want to break my mic by dropping it, I'm just going to drop my pin real quick. That was amazing. Cool. Well, that I'm, was, I'm glad that was really good. I've never given a pen drop before. So this is the, the first ever. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to break the mic that we're using to record. So I'll, I'll just drop yes. in. Smart man. <laughs> so let's, you know, one of the things when I started this journey of podcasting, I, I was listening to individuals that I was like, man, they got great stuff. They've arrived. I'm not arrived. I'm, I'm barely at the beginning of the journey. I'm with you, brother. And then what kind of came th through all that was, how do I talk to people in such a manner when I podcast? Because I'm not an authority figure. So what value do I have to bring? And what I realized is for this podcast, I don't have to be the authority figure. I can be the student and facilitate mm. conversation. And in an effort to, for the audience not to just grow with my own audience, but also to humanize a little bit our guests, I've come up with three questions that I, I typically ask most guests. Cool. So the first question is, what's the biggest lie in self-talk that you have had or you currently have? The biggest lie in my own self-talk? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think generally speaking, and then I'll, I'll cover it personally. I think the biggest lie in self-talk is that you have to listen to and or follow the negative stuff. I mean, I, I don't think there's, no matter who you are, there's always going to be that little voice that's going to have some self-doubt. There's always going to be that little voice that tells you that you're not good enough or you're not worthy or you shouldn't be doing this. It's, it's almost impossible to drown that voice out completely. Uh, but you do have a choice on whether or not you listen to it. Uh, just like if you know uh, if you post this this podcast on social media, you don't have any control over the comments that are going to come up, but you control whether or not you listen to them, and that's completely up to you. So I think one of the uh, the lies we all tell ourselves is that we have to listen to that voice inside that says that we shouldn't be doing something or that we're we're not good enough. Um, I know for me personally, uh, the biggest one that I've tried to overcome is I I, I don't play big enough. I, I don't I don't dream big enough. I don't play big enough. And um, I have not overcome this one yet. But what I'm very proud to say is that I'm better today than I was a year ago. And for me, what's most important in my life is not where I am at the moment. It's the trajectory at where I'm going. So, you know, I, I've, I've always tended to think smaller term and safe. Uh, and instead of thinking big, you know, when I, I read or hear something about, you know, I don't know, Richard Branson or Mark Cuban or some of these guys that, you know, I mean, have done just some of the most extraordinary things. It, it doesn't appear that at any moment they didn't think those things were possible. And I know for a good portion of my life, I've played things smaller and I've played things safer. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gone through some therapy and some things to try to uncover why I was doing that. Um, but, but to me, trying to broaden my scope of what I believe is possible and what I believe I can contribute to the world and what I can accomplish is getting bigger by the day. So while I'm certainly not on Richard Branson's level yet, I'm better than the Allenstein Jr. was a month ago and a year ago. And if you and I were to reconnect and do a second interview a year from now, I can almost guarantee you I'll be playing bigger and thinking bigger than too. You know... What you're saying is profound on on several different levels, and I want to go back to what something that you said about you're not as you're not taking as much risk as some of these other individuals. Well, that's also really smart too. And learning from from my own past, there have been times in my life where I want to play big or bigger than my ability allows me, yeah. and so I take that larger risk. And I crash and burn hard. And it's extremely difficult to recover from stuff like that. And if you do enough of those, you can't recover. Now that I'm 31 and I have two kids, married, you know, it's when my children entered my life that I stopped taking as higher risks financially or in my careers of of moving around. Um, I got stable and I realized like, Everything that I didn't, you know, I wanted the risk. I wanted the adventure. I wanted to go big. But what I realized is I had no roots. I had no stability, no structure to grow off of. And so I I commend you for that. And to any of our audience that's like, man, I want to play big. Well, if you play bigger than your ability, you will crash and burn. Yeah. So know, know where you're at yourself and then appropriately go forward. 
For sure. And that's, that's an excellent, very insightful point. And, and one thing, there is a major inherent flaw in what I just shared. And this has also been another uh, Achilles heel of mine. And I would imagine is a, an Achilles heel of everybody listening to this. And that's the danger we get in playing the comparison game. That, that ultimately, the reason I'm saying that I'm not playing big enough is because I'm comparing myself to a Richard Branson or a Mark Cuban. Uh, and there's always going to be a danger when you play the comparison game. Uh, I'm a huge uh, believer and advocate of social media because I think there's a variety of things that it can help with. But one of the downsides of social media is I think it, it almost forces us to play the comparison game. Uh, I have zero doubt that someone listening to this right now may look at me and go, man, Alan plays way bigger than I do. He's, way, you know, he, I play way too safe. So it's all a comparison game. So, uh, most importantly, try not to use others or outside metrics to determine our own value and self-worth. I need to be able, instead of framing it, and I use that more as a point of reference, am I playing as big as I'm capable of? And am I pushing and challenging myself as much as I'm capable of within reason, as you just said, I don't want to be foolish or reckless. And my answer to that is no, I'm, I have not quite spread my wings to the degree that I can but I'm not in competition with Richard Branson or with, with Mark Cuban or with you or with anyone listening. We're all on our own race. We're all doing our own thing. So by my using my self-awareness, I could be playing bigger and, and taking slightly more risk because there's more to gain. And that's what I need to focus on. So it really has nothing to do with anybody else. That was more just for point of reference. Right. All right. Next question. What brings sure. you, what brings you peace? Hmm. Uh, man, I love, first, let me say this. I have done no shortage of probably a hundred, 150 podcast interviews. Uh, the vast majority of which in the past year with the book was coming out and I love your questions. You ask some really insightful, but different questions. So this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. peace. I, I do get a tremendous amount of fulfillment through my work that, that I consider myself a professional bucket filler and I like pouring into others and serving others. And when I feel that I've done that to a decent degree and that I've, you know, I'm speaking to a group and I see the light bulbs go off, I see their heads nodding, I see them writing things down, that does give me some peace to know that I've been in service of others. I also get a tremendous amount of peace being with my children and watching them grow. And so I have nine-year-old twin sons and I have a seven-year-old daughter. And, you know, on Facebook where you've got that time hop where it'll, it'll throw a picture up and it'll show me a picture of my kids six years ago where it was like they were completely different people. And, and now our relationship has changed. Our dynamics changed. The things I can talk to them about at nine and seven uh, have changed. I get a lot of peace in seeing the, the, the kids that they're growing up to be. And, and as a parent, I find that really rewarding and fulfilling. That's awesome. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, literally last week I had a son that wasn't walking and then the next week he's walking. I mean, and it just, wow. oh, man, it all changes now for you. Yeah. Side, <laughs> side, side note, this is kind of funny. So I have two boys, three years apart that uh -huh. were born on the same day, three years apart. Wow. That was, that was crazy. That? And what are their ages? Uh, well, four and one. Four and one. Okay, cool. Wow. So it's just, it, it's amazing. So, all right. So last question here for the podcast. Sure. I, I take that back. I got one more question for you after this. You fire away. I'm, I'm all yours, brother. What's the best decision you've ever made? The best decision I ever made was to find where my passion and my natural talent intersected. And that was 
basically in coaching and, and being a basketball performance coach. It was what I was most passionate about. And, and I'm thankful that I've, I've kind of had, it's like people skills and emotional intelligence and uh, a certain level of charisma, I guess you could say. And, and I don't mean that to sound boastful. I've just always been good with people and encouraging and supporting and pouring into others. And when I took those natural abilities and my love for basketball and where it was able to combine those two things, that was without question the best decision I've made. How can I add value to you? Oh, I mean, I think you're already doing that, you know, by, by providing a platform for me to share what I'm passionate about with the folks that are your loyal uh, and longtime listeners and followers. Uh, that's, that's already more than enough. And like I said, you've asked some really cool questions, things that no one's asked before and have gotten me to really think, because uh, as you can probably imagine, uh, doing a lot of podcast interviews, it's very easy to give canned answers because most people just ask the same stuff over and over. So uh, this has been fun and stimulating because you're asking me some different stuff uh, that I got to give some thought to. So no, you've already been incredibly helpful. Good. Well, thank you. Alan, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. You know, this is was so full of wisdom and so many nuggets. Like my my paper over here has so much chicken scratch on it from, from taking notes. Thank you so much for your time and the, the wisdom and life experience that you've had and that you're willing to share it with others. Thank you for coming today. Totally my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. This was fun. Take care. I don't know about you guys, but there are several things from this conversation that I was able to, to really hone in on and take away. I think to begin with, is that we have to establish what the basics are in the given areas of life that we want to have success and realize that the foundation of success is getting to understand and master the basics and not becoming bored with them. He also talked about how in life, as he gets older, one of the things that brings him peace is learning how to simplify life. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes in my life, I just try to make things way too complicated or add way too many moving pieces in my life. And I liked how he actually talked about getting rid of things, not specifically possessions, but decisions to make his life more simplistic. I know that that's an area that I struggle in. And, you know, I think I'm going to take some of that advice specifically on how to simplify my life. I think, too this was really convicting. Success comes in the unseen hours. It's about showing up early and putting in the extra work in your own life to get ahead of the game, so to say. And there are many areas in my life that I look at that would get me closer to the person that I'm wanting to be in my health and fitness in my spiritual walk, just by getting up sooner. And so when he said that success comes in the unseen hours, it was really convicting, realizing that I need to probably get up sooner than I am to make some of those necessary habit changes to see more of the results. And I can't use the excuse, I'm a father, and my kids wake me up multiple times a night, so I need more sleep because now they're sleeping a little bit more than they used to. However, 
I still need to make sure that I get up early. I don't know. What about you guys? Do you feel like that you need to get up sooner in order to have success in the unforeseen hours? I think this one is my favorite. When he talks about competing, he's talking about competing against yourself, not against other people or in my case, when I look at billionaires and the successes that they've had or other real estate agents or podcast hosts or shows, it's really easy to make my metrics the accomplishments of other people. And he said, instead of competing against other people, you need to compete against yourself and your own abilities. And I feel like that was my biggest takeaway. That was my biggest aha and that's probably one of the areas that I need to focus in on and allowing that area of my life to get healed. Because comparison is the thief of joy. And how many times have we allowed our joy to be robbed because we have compared ourselves to other people? I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you would, I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing as well as rating and even leaving us an objective review. It helps us with our ratings and spreading the message of the Whole Person Podcast. And now, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Take care and God bless. I created a free resource that I want to offer all of our listeners. You know, we have this ideal person of what we want ourselves to look like. And there's this gap between where we currently are and that dream identity that we've created. Well, in this resource, it shares ideas and components about how to not only bridge some of those gaps, but also how to be content and okay with who we are as we love ourselves in the process of change. If that interests you and you want that resource, check out thewholepersonpodcast.com. Again, that's thewholepersonpodcast.com for that free resource. And while you're there, just so you know, our friends at Anchor Marketing actually created our website that helps us market ourselves better and brand ourselves It also works with search engine optimization and other areas for digital marketing. So definitely check them out. We paid them to build our website and to help us do marketing, and we just really appreciate them. I figured as a business owner or entrepreneur, if that's something that you're looking for, you should definitely go check them out. I think their website is anchormarketingco.com. That's anchormarketingco.com.